Uh, well, it is terrific having uh, Sunday AM and the Pathfinders uh, in the service. Um, uh, great to have you uh, with us uh, this morning. Thank you for joining us. And uh, any who are here for the very first time uh, who just turned up at uh, Christchurch Forward this morning, we're thrilled to have you here as well. We're looking through the book of Ephesians. We've uh, reached chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 4. Let me encourage you to have uh, the Bible open in front of you. Page 1177 is the, uh, the, the page number, 1177, Ephesians 6. Uh, verses 1 to 4. And if you like these things, then uh, I've put an outline of uh, this talk, this sermon, on the back uh, of the uh, service order. So if you want to see where we're going, um, then if you turn to the back page of the service order, you'll see uh, the outline there. Let me read again for us uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Of course, it's one of those verses that seems remarkably clear and straightforward until you try to work it out. Uh, we've been hearing about some of the uh, uh, intricacies of that uh, already uh, in uh, the interview. But uh, uh, let me uh, try and tell you of another situation where it's difficult. A 17-year-old um, explained his conundrum to me after I'd spoken at an evangelistic event at the church that he was connected to, so I'd never met him before. Uh, but after I'd spoken, he, he came up and spoke to me and he said, my parents aren't Christians and they've told me that I shouldn't go to church but the Bible tells me to obey my parents, what should I do? That's a difficult one. Uh, verse 1 throws up questions for people way beyond their teenage years. Uh, a Christian couple in their mid-twenties uh, were considering working abroad as mission partners. They, came from, they both came from Christian homes, but the wife told me, my parents aren't at all happy about us living overseas and so far away but we feel this is the best way we can serve the Lord. Does the command to obey my parents prevent us from going? That's a good question. See, does this command in verse 1 give parents the right to veto godly decisions of their grown-up children? Is this the command, this command, the, the ace of hearts in, in Christian commandments, the card that trumps all other commands? You know, when you teenagers say, I don't want to do that, do, the, uh, do, do your parents have the right to bring out Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and hold it in front of you? which means you've got to obey. Well, let's look at these verses more closely to try and understand them properly. Uh, and uh, on the handout, the first heading, uh, Children Obey, verses 1 to 3. Now look, uh, before we look at these verses, a real grasp of these verses will dispel any idea that parents can have an unhealthy Victorian dictatorial hold on their children. As we saw last week with husbands and wives, there is not even a hint of the Bible giving harsh and vindictive people power over others. So, at verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. There's the command. But why? Why should we obey our parents? The rationale behind verse 1 is in verses 2 and 3. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, honour your father and mother is, of course, one of the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And Paul tells us in verse 2, it's a command with a promise. Now, understand the promise in verse 3, and we'll understand why it's so crucial to obey our parents. Well, to understand it, to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, you might like to keep your finger in Ephesians uh, 6. We're going to come back there. But for now, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, page 185 and we'll understand what this promise is all about and I think once we've understood the promise we'll understand why we should obey it and you will want to 
obey our parents. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Here's the command. Honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. And here's the promise. So that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now to understand it, remember this. In Deuteronomy, the people of God are on the verge of entering the promised land. They've been rescued from slavery in Egypt brought out of Egypt through, uh, if I can call it this, the redemptive act of God, the the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. And now they've been wandering in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years, and Moses is preparing them to enter the promised land. Now what if you see the parallel with us as Christians? We too have been rescued from slavery, slavery to sin. We too have been saved through the mighty redemptive act of Jesus' death on the cross. We too are not yet in the promised land, in the new heavens and the new earth. So we are waiting to get into the promised land. And here is what the Lord commands to children who are not yet in the promised land. Honour your father and mother. Do what they say. Obey them. Why, verse 16, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see why it's so important to see this is a command with a promise. The promise is all about entering the promised land. You see it more as you look on. Look on to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. That last phrase is exactly the same language as the command in chapter 5, verse 16. Verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers, promised you. You see, so that it may go well with you. Again, the same language as chapter 5, verse 16. Now don't get bogged down in it all. The the point is very simple. The promise of the command is all about entering the land. Uh, For us it's not about waiting for a strip of land in the Middle East. Our eternal home is the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why Paul, when he writes and uh, remembers this promise and this command, changes one word. So you come back with me to Ephesians Uh, chapter 6 now and see that the subtle but crucial change Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 3 well verse 2 honour your father and mother verse 3 that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life not in the land but on the earth see the point the earth being the new earth the new heavens and the new earth the home of righteousness as Peter calls it The reason children are to obey their parents is because their parents are to be instructing their children about how to be sure to be with the Lord in eternity, in the promised land. And, of course, how to live as God's people as we wait for that promised land. Now, do you see how helpful that is? Understood properly, this is not a carte blanche for parents to insist their children do whatever they tell them to do. Do what I tell you to do because I'm your parent is not quite enough. Now, I think it is then primarily all about uh, families uh, and about um, uh, uh, parents teaching their children 
about coming to know the Lord. I do think it is a creation ordinance, uh, that it is the way that the Lord has set up the world to work best, but I don't think that's the primary thing that's going on in this passage. Now, that's very helpful, isn't it? Because when parents are opposing the reason for the command, then children shouldn't obey them like the parents of the lad who told him that he couldn't go to church. Now, of course, how you work it out with someone who is under parental control, someone who's a minor, is very difficult. Uh, To advise a teenager in that situation to just ignore his parents may not be the wisest thing. Now, I don't know, there may be some uh, uh, teenagers here who have parents who aren't Christians. Uh, Don't mishear this. I want uh, to to say to the teenager that came to me and asked about that, um, that maybe it would be best if he didn't go to church. Uh, That he should have support, Christian support in other ways, to get involved in the school CU, to make sure that he had good Christian friends, to make sure that the youth leaders from the church met with him to study the Bible and pray with him after school. Indeed, wisdom would tell him to be, wait for this teenagers, to be the model son at home. Uh, to get his homework done, to be helpful, to respect his parents. Uh, so that Sunday by, uh, by Sunday morning, if his family weren't going out, he could say to his parents, I've done my homework and all the jobs you asked me to do around the house. My bedroom's tidy. I've walked the dog and fed the guinea pig. Would you mind if I go to church this morning? Now before you think that I'm living in cloud cuckoo land and think no one ever lives like that at home, Uh, Let me tell you, it's happened. Not with that lad. He was at a church that uh, I I never went back to. But it happened with a lad called Alan in a church that I used to be part of. His parents were not at all happy that their son had become a Christian. Indeed, they were suspicious of the church that he attended and of us, uh, the leaders of that church. Uh, But after some months, they, they came to me. I'd already been to see them once, but they came to me and said, Alan has changed so much. He's helpful around the house. He's polite. He does things when we ask him. They began to see that following Jesus had made their son a delightful young man and as a result, rather than stopping him attending church, they actually encouraged him to go to church and even started coming with him. Now the big point is this. Verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 6 cannot be used by parents to stop their children from obeying the Lord and growing in godliness as that is the very reason for the command. This is a command to Christian children to obey their Christian parents as their parents exercise that God-given responsibility to lead their children to the Lord and to train them in godliness. Indeed, you can see it really just by looking at verse 1. Do you see the three words that we can so easily skip over? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We can miss that, can't we? When parents are not in the Lord or demanding things that are not of the Lord, Christian children are not obligated to obey. So, just to sort of tie up the loose end of the introduction, the Christian couple in their 20s who wanted to be mission partners abroad, her parents telling them not to go abroad but but to stay at home, they were just being selfish. They, the parents, were in good health, so it wasn't as if they needed their children around to help them. And they had other children, uh, grown-up children, living quite close. See, it seems there are a number of things that those parents haven't grasped, this older Christian couple. Um, They certainly haven't seen the priority of the gospel or they'd have been thrilled that their daughter wanted to go abroad to tell people about Jesus, wouldn't they? 
Yes, it's always hard to say goodbye, but they wouldn't have tried to step, stop in, uh, get in the way of that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord is a command to lead children towards godliness and to equip them for eternity. And so I think this primarily is not about how we relate to older parents. Honour your father and mother is a crucial thing that if we have elder parents we need to deal with, yes. But that's not what this section is doing here. That has wider implications. And I put it on the sheet here if you want to see it. Chase up 1 Timothy 5 verses 3 to 8 afterwards. If you have elder parents and you're thinking, should I deal with them, help them, how should I help them, 1 Timothy 5 will help you to know how you should help them. For now, let me turn to uh, children and teenagers before we turn to fathers. Uh, Children and teenagers of Christian parents, do you see what this verse tells you? It says, listen to your parents and especially as they try to tell you about Jesus. Listen to them when they want to teach you the Bible. See, when you have family prayers at home, that is definitely not the time to tune out or to be awkward with them, or to find something better to do. When your parents want to sit down with you and explain the Bible, listen to them. Indeed, be eager to hear what they have to say. Because they want you to get into the promised land. When they explain to you why they live the way they live, why they've taken the decisions they've taken, why they spend their money the way they do, why they won't buy you the latest gadget that you so desperately want and cannot live without, why they don't want you to watch certain things on TV, why they're, not, why they're concerned about your internet use or the time you're spending on the computer, why they have a different set of sexual ethics to your friend's parents, why they want you to attend church and so on. When they explain those things, when they are helping you to understand the Bible and how the Bible has shaped their thinking on those things, listen to them. And when they're teaching you Christian truth in all spheres of life, obey them. And you're going to think, why should I obey them? And this passage says, because they are trying to equip me for and tell me about eternity. Because this is a command with a promise, the promise to enter eternal life. Do you know what I want for my children more than anything? More than anything in the world. What do you think it is? Happiness? contentment, a stable, happy marriage when they grow up and be married, a a successful career, a comfortable lifestyle. I want many of those things for my children, of course. What do I want more than anything for them? I want them to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I actually dread the thought of my children, our twins, eight-year-old Bethan and Susanna and five-year-old Joshua, I dread the thought of them spending eternity in hell. I sometimes, I often think about it and I cannot bear it. Children and teenagers here, listen to your parents in the Lord when they instruct you in the Lord. They long for you to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. They cannot bear the thought of you being in hell. And when you think they're bending your ear and getting on at you, it's because they love you. But uh, children and teenagers here, I guess one of the great problems when we talk about eternity is that it seems far away and so irrelevant when there's an exciting life to live here and now. Let me say two things to you and then I'm going to say an awful lot to your fathers. So if you feel I'm getting at you now, don't worry, your fathers are going to get it in a minute. Well, I'm not going to do it like that, you understand. 
but they're going to hear something in a moment. Here's two things for you. Firstly, when you think it's a long way off, let me say it is very exciting to follow Jesus when you follow him wholeheartedly. Jesus gives you a mission in life to change the world. Follow Jesus and you are part of the great master plan of the universe. Follow Jesus and you are sure to invest your life in things that matter. And you will discover that living with him is what you were made for. Indeed, that living his way is the way that makes life work best, verse 3, that it may go well with you. And secondly, when you think that eternity seems so far off, let me say it's a mark of maturity to think about eternity and to think and plan for the future. See, a characteristic of little children is that they can't wait for anything. They want everything now and if they don't get what they want now they become miserable and they make sure that everyone around them is miserable. They throw their toys out of the pram. A mark of maturity is seen in people preparing for the future. Now, look, I'm not a youth worker but I think most teenagers want to be treated like mature, responsible adults. Well then, listen to your parents as they help you to plan for the eternal future which may seem a long way off, but frankly any of us could be catapulted into eternity at any moment. I wonder if you caught the news story last week of the 17-year-old girl who died when the car she was in was swept away by floodwaters in Wales. Let me ask you, do you think that that 17-year-old, when she woke up that morning, do you think she thought for one moment that by the end of the day she would be in the presence of Almighty God? I don't suppose she did but she was. Children, obey your parents. They want you to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus. Uh, Secondly, fathers train. The second point on the handout. Fathers train, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that while verse 1 is addressed to children to obey their parents, verse 4 is definitely addressed to fathers. Now what is this verse about, verse 4? Well, fathers, the, the verb here means literally to nourish or to feed. It's the same word used in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 29, to, to feed and care for. Our job is to feed our children spiritually. In May this year, a most appalling story hit the national news. Do you remember it? I'm sure you will when I tell you it. Uh, A man and woman, uh, a a father and mother, were charged with neglect after their seven-year-old daughter died of starvation. Do you remember it? Kira Ishak was her name. She was rescued alongside five other children uh, by police uh, in the Hansworth area of Birmingham. Uh, but she died later in hospital. Her parents had starved her to death. Do you remember the story? Now look, the death of any child is tragic and heartbreaking, but in this day and age in Britain, with all the social benefits available, it is criminal for parents to allow a child to starve to death. Now fathers, I, I guess if you're like me, we feel the responsibility to provide for our family, to put food on the table. We should feel that responsibility. It is ours. And do you see what verse 4 is saying? Fathers, the Lord has given you the responsibility to feed and nourish your children in the Lord. You wouldn't dream of allowing your children to starve physically, so fathers, do not leave your children spiritually undernourished to uh, potentially die eternally of starvation. 
Fathers, it is our responsibility to feed our children in the things of the Lord. And fathers, I think we need to not abdicate our responsibility here. It, it seems to me, and um, well, I don't know whether you agree or not, but it seems to me that British Christian culture in the first part of the 21st century is for fathers to leave the training and instruction of their children in Christian things to the Sunday school and the youth worker and mum. Oh, this verse tells fathers to step up to the plate and to be doing that training and instructing. Uh, you see, the word instruction here in verse 4 has the idea of verbal education, sitting down with our children, teaching them the truth from the Bible. Whether that be at formal family Bible times or taking opportunities throughout the day to tell them how they should think Christianly on all sorts of issues. We, we heard it when David and Marilyn and Claire were up here, how they talked about things that, that came up. Uh, talk about things, the environment, uh, money, sex, work, leisure, sports, the arts, everything. What's the Christian perspective on those things? And the word training here has the idea of, of discipline or correction telling our children where they've, uh, where they've got it wrong, where they are uh, doing themselves harm. And again, to take responsibility in that, not to leave it all up to their mother. Very interesting, I was talking to somebody this week who, um, uh, about this passage, and, and they were saying, it's very easy for them, having been out all day, to come in and, uh, and to act the, the, the clown. Mum's been labouring away and uh, struggling away, and he just, he's just a fun guy. When he walks in, it's all fun. He's the clown. Doesn't do any of the, uh, the correction, the disciplining. Christian Father, no one can adequately replace you in this task of, of teaching and training, of training and instructing. See, fathers have a crucial role in the family and that's under pressure from the world at the moment, isn't it? The world tell us in all sorts of legislation that's going through at the moment that you don't need a father in the home. Now, I know there's going to be some people here who are bringing up children on their own, mothers on their own. Good on you. You need all the support you can get. That's fantastic that you're labouring away at that. But let's not buy into this, uh, this lie that we've been fed that actually, you know, a, a family can be perfectly okay without fathers. Good on you if you're hanging on in there because that's the situation. But the ideal is always to have a father and a mother. Now, fathers, you have a crucial role in the family. And this verse says the Sunday school and the youth group will not supplement, will only supplement your teaching. They cannot replace you. Your wife has a unique dimension to your family and the importance of her role cannot be overstated. But as a father, you have a key task here. Indeed, this is a natural continuation of the things we saw last week of a man's headship in marriage, uh, we saw that at the end of chapter 5. Now as fathers look at verse one, uh, at this verse, verse 4, I can imagine some of you feeling crestfallen. You're already overworked, uh, you feel all the stresses of a demanding job, you heard the challenge last week to be creating an environment for your wife where she will flourish, to be ready to lay your life down for her, and now this Imagine you, some of you saying, I'm not going to come back next week. This is just too much. Well, let me tell you, we're not doing Ephesians next week. It's harvest, so you can come back. 
The point is this, the responsibility of the Christian education of your children can feel like just another huge burden. And you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know how I can fit this in as well. Well, let me say two things. The Lord has equipped you for this task. He's called you for it. He will equip you if you want to do it. And if you feel that you've blown it and you're you're a rubbish dad, and let me tell you, I feel that quite regularly, then do remember chapter 5, verse 25. Christ loves you and he laid his life down for you. If you failed, you are forgiven. But then as you look at the cross and enjoy the forgiveness that is yours, then surely the cross motivates you to order your priorities. I think this is an issue of priorities, you see. Just as you wouldn't dream of failing to put food on your table for your children, why, fathers, do you consider that not nourishing them and feeding them with the word of God is an option? Let me ask you as families here, how much time do you give to supporting and encouraging your children's education, helping them with their homework, indeed cajoling them and encouraging them to get their homework done? How much effort do you put into being sure that they keep up their music practice? How much time do you give to being the taxi service, running them back and forth to their sporting activities? Great, encourage them in all these things. I heard on the radio uh, some time ago some brilliant advice. It wasn't Christian advice, I thought it was brilliant advice though, of somebody who when he was growing up said, my parents encouraged me to learn a language, to play a musical instrument and to play a sport because those three things open up so many opportunities. I'll be encouraging my children to do those things if they want to. But the point is this, if we make time for those things, if we put effort into ensuring that our children do the homework and the music practice and their sport, if we tell them we've paid good money for them to do these things and they see us getting uptight and upset about those things but we put no or little effort into instructing them in the Lord, what does that say about our priorities for our children? What does that tell our children? How Christian are we? Now, yes, I say it knowing it's hard to balance busy lives. But can I say this, fathers, before you take the next promotion to give you more job satisfaction and more money and longer hours, let me ask you to think about whether you're fulfilling this responsibility at home. Now, that's fairly hard, but let me say I think I also realise that for probably the vast majority here, it's not that you don't want to, but... Perhaps you don't know how to. And that's hard for dads to admit, isn't it? You know, if you've uh, not been brought up in a Christian family yourself, you might be saying, I don't know how to do this with my children. I've never seen it modelled. Well, Christian dad here, if you don't know where to start, and and I find it hard, let me say to you, will you speak to Gareth Rowe? I'm not setting him up. He's not setting himself up as the expert but he's done a lot of thinking on these things. Why don't you email him, grab him, ask him uh, if, you'll, if he'll meet with you, I know he'd like to, to start talking some of these things through. You see, we're here to help, to work it out together. In your home groups, will you discuss over coffee uh, how you can do this? Those of you who've, um, who've already done this, you know, you've got your grown-up families. Uh, can you get alongside us and help us? You've been round the block a few times. We need some help. Tell us how to do it. And over Sunday lunch today, can we all talk about this as families? So children and teenagers here, uh, tell your dad over Sunday lunch 
tell him that you'd like him to instruct you in the Lord because you want to be sure of getting to, to eternity with Jesus. That would be a great encouragement to him. He probably thinks that if he's never done this and he tries to start it, that you'll just tell him that you're not interested. Don't you tell him you are? That would be a great encouragement to him. And remember, we're not just talking about sort of formal family prayers here. Uh, as we draw to a close, come, come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, if you will. Uh, page 185. And we'll see how this instructing and training ought to be going on throughout the whole of family life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And I love verse 7. Listen to this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talking about the Lord is to be an everyday, all the time thing, 24-7 as they say. Some of the best times of talking about Jesus in our house are not the formal times of Bible reading and prayer. Sometimes they're a disaster. Often those times are a disaster. But when we're on a family walk or, or at meal times or when the children ask us about things they've been taught at school, well, we have great times talking about Jesus. See, a rounded Christian worldview tells us that Jesus is Lord of everything. That's how we started the service, the opening song that we sang. Following Jesus impinges on everything we do and on everything in life. So whether you're talking with your children about what they did at school or playing a game with them or watching sport with them or, or a movie with them or, or discussing current affairs with them or politics, the environment, sex, whatever, we can be instructing them in the Lord. One of my children is a terrible cheat when we play games. It's horrible playing games with, I won't even give you the gender, that person. <laughs> it's a great opportunity for me to instruct them in the Lord and why they should be playing fairly, rather than just get annoyed as I normally do. Fathers, teach your children in everything. And so that they'll listen... Well, don't exasperate your children. You see, that's what Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We've already heard some helpful things uh, from the Stanley family about how it's easy to exasperate our children. It's so easy to discourage and hurt children, isn't it? Children flourish and blossom and develop best in an environment of encouragement. I know how easy it is to get into the other. Work hard in your relationship with your children so that they don't resent you. Do good, fun things with them, Dad, so that when you then want to teach them in the Lord, they'll be more ready to hear you. Don't exasperate them by trying to live out your dreams through them, the things you never quite achieved. Don't now try and impress them on your children. I would have loved to have been a tennis player. I must make sure that I don't impress upon my children that they've got to be Wimbledon champions. It could exasperate them, couldn't it? Now, this is uh, one of the things that uh, uh, John Stock picks up. Uh, he quotes from Edna Ferber's novel, Giant. 
In the, no- the novel tells the story of the Texan, Jordan Benedict, owner of a, a two and a half million acre cattle ranch. He is furious because his infant son, Geordie, aged three, does not take to horses. When set on one in full cowboy regalia, he cries to be taken down. His father is disgusted. I rode before I could walk, he says. All right, responds his wife, Leslie. That was very cute, but that was you. This is another person. Maybe he doesn't like horses. He's a Benedict, his father retorts, and I'm going to make him a horseman if I have to tie him to it. You've been playing God so long, you think you run the world. I run the part that, it's, that is mine. He's not yours. He's yours and mine. And not even ours. He's himself. The Christian might want to add, he's the Lord's. Uh, we've been given children, wonderfully. Actually, we've been loaned children that they may know the Lord. Don't exasperate your children by making demands on them that are unreasonable, by setting goals that are unattainable, by showing them their faults all the time. Encourage them. They're precious things, our children are, given to us by the Lord so that we raise them to know him. That must be a priority in our lives. And I think in eternity, fathers, we will see that our careers and hobbies and pursuit of the little trinkets of this life are nothing compared to bringing our children up to follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.